everyone welcome to the sanctuary uh a safe space to speak from the heart and today my guest is someone i've been dying to meet two years now because we met like two years ago <laughs> dr tachi thank you so much for uh coming on the podcast thank you for having me i'm honored uh how are you doing how are you doing Oh, I'm fantastic. I, I mean, despite everything, I'm really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember, uh, you know, two years ago, uh, it, it was actually just before the pandemic started. You know, I was in Florida for the PodFest and we met. Uh, let's start with the PodFest. How was your experience of that uh, conference? Fantastic. You know, I had never been to a podcast conference before that. All of my energy was always focused on media conferences. So big ones like NAB, you know, checking out South by Southwest. So it was really nice to come to a conference that was so niche and so specific to one aspect of media, podcasting. Mm -hmm. I met so many great people like yourself. I had a great time. It was awesome. And I couldn't wait to come back the next year, but here we are and we did it virtually. So (laughs) yeah. How was a virtual experience for you? Well, you know what? I'm very used to virtual experiences because I teach online. I do a lot of online webinars, seminars, and conferences, even before the pandemic. So I I knew it was possible. And I Mm. thought that this was definitely the way they should go and that they should, you know, more conferences should have a virtual aspect anyway, because there's so many people who can't get there. So Mm. yeah, I I loved it. I 100% loved it. Mm. Yeah, you know, again, even so much knowledge. And and it's great when people like yourself share things you've tried that work and then you try it and it works the same way. It's always, it was always a good feeling. Um, but let's even go further back, right? Growing up, what did you want to be? I actually, that's funny. I wanted to be a fashion designer. Fashion was my wheelhouse and that's what I intended to be didn't yeah. work out so well <laughs> <laughs> but i came back then, full circle to it yeah yeah but then you know you went on this journey to your phd and like you know actually becoming faculty like how do you go from i want to make clothes to okay i'm going to teach media So the teaching thing was not even on my radar initially. So what Mm. happened was after, you know, most African parents have an idea of what you can be. And usually that's doctor, lawyer, or engineer. And everything else is just uh, a waste of time. (laughs) So so you go on. It was actually my father who made the suggestion of mass comm, mass communication, because I was so into television and so into media. So I pursued Mm. that. I did that undergrad. focused on independent film and video making and of course general communication and then i went to grad school simply because that's what you do that's what you did you know you you went to graduate school because that's the next possible step after that so i did that but teaching wasn't on my radar at all because i was Mm. not initially planning to do a phd initially i was going to stop at my master's i thought maybe that i would do pr for like the music industry or something to that effect but then once Mm. i started i worked in radio but once i started to see you know how the music industry was and what it was i 
lost interest and I said, yeah, this is not for me. I don't think I have the tolerance <laughs> for the music industry <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then I um, went on yeah. uh, from the music industry or wanting to do PR from the music industry to actually uh, going on for my PhD, you know, and so it was the 11th hour that I decided I wanted to do a PhD. They mm. accepted me into the program at Howard. It was helpful that I was already a, I had my master's from there and that I was already a master's student. Mm. And so I pursued my PhD and it was the first year I was just a regular PhD student. The second year is when yeah. I was offered, there was a chance for me to do an assistantship. And through that assistantship is where you would teach a class. So I taught one class and then I was also an editorial assistant for our journal, the Howard Journal of Communication. So teaching mm -hmm. that one class, I was like, all right, well, this is part of what's required. But I mm. found out that I loved it. It was so much fun to me. And so that first class, they will forever, uh, be my heart because mm, they just mm. were so willing and so they, they just were so much fun and so from yeah. that point is where i really said you know what i am going to go ahead and see what what being a full-time faculty member is like mm -hmm. and how was that experience oh great i i mean the doing the the full-time faculty. So let, let me back up a little bit. So I was mm -hmm. a uh, teaching associate at Howard where I did it. And then in my, just about my final year was going into my final year. I decided I wanted to get some other experiences outside of being a teaching associate. So let mm -hmm. me see. I knew that Morgan state university that they were looking for some people in the communication department. I'm like, okay, I can already teach cause I already have a master's, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm in process of my PhD. So let me just see. So I ended up, uh, they gave me a call. I was actually, I spent a lot of time in New York and I was on my mm -hmm. way driving back from New York and they were like, Hey, uh, do you have some time this semester? We need some faculty members. So lo and behold, that's how I ended up, uh, being faculty at Morgan state. And, you know, I said, I wanted some other experience. I did not, mm -hmm. um, reapply for the teaching associate program. And the director of graduate study at the time has said, well, what are you going to do? And I said to her, I said, God won't let me, let me starve. Sure enough. <laughs> on the way back from New York back to DC, I got the call. And so, uh, you know, Baltimore is a stop is, is I, you go through Baltimore to get back to DC from New York. So I said, all right, I'll just swing by on my way back from New York. <laughs> I swung by, yeah. they took me around and did, and then like that next week I started. Mm -hmm. And so then I, so I was at Morgan state was there for two years. I graduated with my PhD at the same time, then got a job down here in Florida at a university there. So I was there for 10 years. So it was great. But then I decided, you know, I'm never going to be able to do some of the things that I want in terms of this industry and become a millionaire because that is a goal too. <laughs> yeah, 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 by working yeah, yeah. for somebody else full time. And so that's mm -hmm. when I decided to step back and just become part time and do some of the other things that I love more full time. Mm. So that would be TV channeling, media scope. Which one came first? TV channeling came first in July, July 29th, 2015 is when wow. I launched media scope. 
So just shortly, probably that was July. So three months after Meerkat debuted and two months after, uh, Periscope debuted. I decided I was going to, I had sat and watched what people were doing. I saw what was missing in the space. I said, this is what my show is going to be about. And I have not looked back since been doing it now. Yeah. This is our sixth year for Mediascope. Yeah. I, I like the dynamic between you and Kevin, your co-host is, it's amazing. Oh, well that's TV also channeling. you guys watch. Yeah. Oh yeah. TV channeling. Yeah. That's yeah. what, that's what I'm talking about. You and Kevin okay. on TV channeling. Also you guys watch a ton of TV. Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to call ourselves TV channeling, how dare we not watch a ton of TV? It's almost yeah. compulsory. <laughs> mm. I, I also love what you do with Mediascope where, you know, you are actually using things you've tried and, you know, found out, learned by yourself. And yeah, using all the skills you had as, you know, teaching to share using um, the internet, you know, Facebook Live. Uh, to share some of your knowledge. One of the ones that stood out for me was the one that was encouraging people to get off Zoom and use something else. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there, I, I know I have so many things going on. So part of Mediascope that I do is a, a series, like a sub, I shouldn't say sub, because that connotates below, but a, a co-series called Be More Er, mm -hmm. where I'm teaching people mm -hmm. to be better, smarter, wiser with their video and live stream production. So it's mm -hmm. Mediascope Be More Er. And so I just, I started that because I was tired of seeing such terrible videos, such piss poor video for no reason. Everybody has basically a studio in their hands because you've got a phone. So there are so many different apps and so many things that you can use to make your video better, but people just don't. And so I said, well, if I'm going to talk about people to filth, mm -hmm. then I ought to help them better themselves. And so that's when yeah. I started doing this video series, Be More Er. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. And I, I think the unique way you communicate the information is like listen this is why you shouldn't do it and this is why you should do this it's simple straight to the point and like okay i get it because like you know especially um so i originally started my podcast in studio and like i love the organic feel like the person is right there but then COVID happened and we had to adapt um and i knew i didn't want to use zoom because there's always that lag when you're talking to someone on zoom um so yeah no thanks for that like once i saw that video i was like yep yeah, she's right she's right <laughs> well you i love your in-studio stuff i mean i love this too but you just really took podcasting to a, a, a level just beyond so absolutely fantastic thank you thank you i think you know i always tell people like i'm not interesting so i always look for interesting people like yourself and then i kind of just you know bask in that light <laughs> <laughs> that's okay the light is here for you to bask in so go ahead and soak it up. <laughs> so um i guess then what you know what do you love about social media you know and i guess with the ease of how like you said everyone has a studio in their hand with a phone yeah what do i love about social media the fact that it is an equalizer before you really had to go and beg these major company abc cbs abc cbs in your case cbc c uh, ctv you know you had to really go and beg 
all of these media companies for a slot to say what you had to say. And then there are gatekeepers. Mm. Not everybody has the opportunity to say what they have to say. All of us that are podcasters, all of us that do live streams, maybe it's one out of everybody that does that out of every few thousand, you know, even that, or every, you know, few tens of thousands that get the opportunity to speak on their platform. These mm. are all equalizers. You can do a Facebook live or an Instagram live. You could go live on YouTube. You can have a YouTube channel. You could use something like a clubhouse and, and, and still give yourself give your of yourself in an audio sense. You could use platforms like this. So the great thing is that you don't have to wait for permission to share your message. I think that's mm. what I really love about social media. It is an equalizer. Now, granted, there are some people who should not be equalizing or saying anything <laughs> on social media. Granted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to ask also, you know, like you mentioned, you know, tens of thousands of people, uh, and like there's millions of podcasts, like, mm -hmm. but how do you find that niche and how do you carve that space for yourself, you know, to make your platform yours and not just one of the many out there? So for me, it is definitely the consistency. There are so many, for example, podcasts and live streams. I, I kind of, they're two different things, but because I do both, I just kind of refer to both. I, there are so many out there that start and then stop, or they'll do mm. things one day and then they'll, they'll stop and then they'll come back. So there's a lack of consistency and a lack of continuity with what some people do because they think it, it's going to be easy. And they, it, this, all of this is a lot of hard work. Forget just the recording part of it. Then there's the editing, there's the promotion, there is the, you know, cultivation of an audience, there, there mm. research. There's so much that goes into all of these spaces that, you know, and people thought it would be easy because they're seeing other people maybe monetizing their podcasts or their live streams and they want to do the same thing. Mm. No shame in that, but you don't know what it took to come to the point that they were at. Most, mm -hmm. you know, most podcasters are not necessarily making bank. It takes, there are some people who have some famous podcasts who say that it took a while before they even started to break even, forget about profiting, but breaking even. So you really mm -hmm. have to have a love for this in order to do it. So for me, it is the consistency part of it. It is the, the way I do things. I think my method is different, not necessarily better, but different from other people. I'm super high energy. I know that I come from a theater background. I know that I come from a, a radio background. I know that. So I incorporate my background for all these different things that I know how to do into mm -hmm. this. No experience is wasted in terms of what I've learned. I put it yeah. in there. So maybe I'm too much for some people. I don't care. <laughs> I don't give two dams. I'm just not for yeah. you. And that's fine. You don't have to be for everybody. There are going to be some people who require or are, are drawn to a more subtle approach. I'm not subtle. Mm. That's not me. So I'm not no. for you, maybe, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's go back to something that you mentioned. So you said you started out wanting to be a fashion designer, mm -hmm. but you kind of came back full circle. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. 
So I have always loved fashion and I've come back full circle in two ways. So even when I wasn't working on fashion, I was a fashionista. Let's say that I was always, I, I went shopping a lot and that didn't mm. mean that I was buying a whole bunch of stuff, but I would, something would come up. I'm like, let me go shopping or, you know, I want to change this look about, let me go shopping. So I was always styling and constantly looking for things. Clothes are a way that we reinvent ourselves. That's how we express our personality. That's also how mm -hmm. we express what we do in terms of if you are a nurse or a doctor, etc. there's a uniform that you have there, but to set yourself mm. apart, you'll often see them like, especially nurses, they'll wear scrubs that are different colors. They'll do different things. You may have a stethoscope mm. that has some little charm on it because you are expressing your personality, though you need to be in a box of what profession you are. There are ways mm. you can set yourself apart. And so that's what I've always tried to do. I've always tried to set myself apart. I knew mm -hmm. that I was really into it when my students, I tore my ACL uh, in 2015. And so I didn't wear any heels that whole time. I was wearing, you know, sneakers or whatever, matching the sneakers and stuff to my outfits. I was like, why have I not been wearing sneakers more? What the hell? <laughs> so <laughs> my, um, my uh, students said one time when I was in class and I was wearing sneakers, I think they were like bling sneakers. Your sneakers are really cute. I said, thank you. And somebody said, it must be killing you not to wear heels. I'm like, what are you talking about? Do I wear heels that much? They said, yes. All of them together. <laughs> All, so I was known as the one that was always stylish, always wearing heels, always put. And, you know, it wasn't just like being professionally dressed. I, it was like fashion. That's what I mm -hmm. was doing. And so one year I was looking at what I was going to give for Christmas gifts. I said, I'm not spending a damn dime. I am making things this year. I'm an artist. I know how to make things. So I yeah, made yeah. t-shirts. I hand painted t-shirts with um, two of my favorite motifs are hibiscus flowers and bamboo. Love though. Very mm. peaceful. So I made those for like my mother and my sister. And my mother said, you should sell these. I said, okay. And then I went through the process <laughs> of sourcing things, sourcing uh, yeah. t-shirts and, and how I was going to sell them and sourcing the material I needed to actually paint with. So, you know, it was a process, but I have come to the place where I'm very comfortable what I'm do with what I'm doing now, even looking mm -hmm. at uh, the point of, and we had talked about this offline of, um, doing like a print on demand type thing for uh, the high, for, you know, more of a mass produced mm -hmm. t-shirt and then still having the painted for a higher end. Uh, that's the pre more premium line of yeah. it. So it's come back full I circle. I mean, there's so much work that goes into the hand printed one for sure. Oh my God, it takes, it takes a while. So when I first started, I was only able to complete like maybe one every few hours and i said okay if i'm good because at the time i had a, a a booth at something called the yellow green farmers market here in uh, south florida <laughs> excuse me and so if i was going to sell them i said i have to get faster because this is not going mm. to work uh you, i also did take special orders so if somebody wanted to design and in a size that i didn't have it i said all right come back next week i'll have it for you you know just pay ahead of time and i would do it it mm -hmm. was um so doable so, but, uh, I, I said, I have to have, you know, you want that sale because people, when they come in to buy and they're looking to buy, 
they don't want to mm. wait. So I knew I had to become faster. So then I got mm. it to the point where I'm up to doing at least four per hour, which is pretty good. You simplify your designs, the amount of designs you have, because that's the killer having all these intricate designs and, and you can yeah, do that, yeah, yeah. but people can pay a higher price point for that. And so yeah. the other thing I wanted to mention that I do is I'm also a reseller. So I have a closet on Poshmark and I resell, uh, items, both, um, pre-loved items, because I'm a huge believer in not filling up our landfills with clothes, because that's what happens. If they don't sell, they go to mm. a landfill um, yeah. from at the thrift shop. So I love doing that, rescuing them from landfills. Also, I do sell some of my teas on uh, Poshmark, and I also do sell some, some new items as well. So I'm also a reseller. Mm. And um, I noticed, okay, I'm going to say this wrong, I think. So before I, I said, I'll let you just pronounce it for me. The name of the label. Okay. Aku Aqua. Aku Aqua. Yeah. And it, there's an interesting story behind that name. There is. So I am Igbo and that's from Eastern Nigeria. What's now part of Eastern Nigeria. And they have there there are several different words for things in Igbo, but the word aku means cloth, but it also means wealth because uh, cloth was one type of wealth that you could have several types of wealth in Igbo culture, but cloth was one. So aku mm -hmm. means cloth or wealth, and then mm -hmm. in one dialect, and then aqua is the uh, general Igbo dialect word for cloth. So I wanted mm -hmm. to use both. So it's aku slash aqua. So wealth cloth or cloth cloth. Wealth cloth. Like it because and, and you know when you look at the designs, they're so intricate, like you say. So they just convey this a lot of love and a lot of passion went into making this piece of what I'm putting on. So it feels good to put on, really. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And plus I'm very specific about what kind of t-shirts I use. I, I'm all about soft. I'm all about good quality. So sometimes, you know, when you get these mass produced things, they're like, oh, okay. And they're rough. They feel like uh, washcloths. I don't do that. You, you, so. Yeah, there's nothing I hate, like liking a t-shirt and then putting it once in the wash and that's it. I can't wear it again. I can't wear yeah. it again. No, I'm all about good quality, making sure that yeah. they're, they're color fast. If they're going to be, you know, that they don't fade. I really... I mean, obviously anything breaks down after a while, but I've, there are some shirts I've had Aku Aqua now since 2010. And I have shirts that I still wear that are from 2010 and mm. there's very little wear. You know what? Quality always pays for itself. Like it always pays for itself. It does. It does. Quality is because that is your hallmark. If you just, yeah, you could just go get some shirts that are a dollar each and they feel like sandpaper and they don't last <laughs> worth a damn. <laughs> you could do that, but you'll never get customers. Like you won't get that same customer again. My thing yeah. is getting that repeat business, right? So anytime mm. that you think of a unique t-shirt and one of the reasons I started it, yeah, I'm into fashion, but I, and I love, but I love t-shirts too. I love t-shirts shirts and I was having a time of it finding t-shirts that I actually really liked so that was another thing that was the impetus to do it I said I can make it myself I'm an artist let me do what I like and hopefully mm. other people will like it too and the thing yeah. is my designs are so unique that you could people have told me I saw somebody wearing your one of your shirts the other day they're walking down the street I said is that aqua aqua they knew because of the uniqueness of the design mm. 
Mm. And you know, the thing about you is you put a bit of you in everything you do from media scope to TV channeling to aqua aqua. There's a little bit of Dr. Tachi in everything you touch. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One thing I didn't talk about yet is the filmmaking, right? I know, I know you, that's not as upfront as now, but you have been in a lot of documentary films. So let's start with why documentary and uh, what you love about, you know, telling story in that form. It's the truest form of storytelling. You know, you can do scripted, which I love as well, but telling somebody's story, real life story in their own world words, or telling the story of this historical place or this event or documenting something, it is the truest form of storytelling it's the closest thing you can get to somebody saying hey come here let me sit down let me tell you a story so mm. I, I think that's why i love it so much plus i i have a journalism background as well you know i'm also mm. a journalist and so because of that and and the reporting uh so that's more of a long documentary is more of long form reporting in a sense right mm. so i think that's why I connected with, with it so much because of the of the journalism background and then loving storytelling and it, it being the truest form of telling a story, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. Um, and um, what, I guess, how did that start for you? I know you studied journalism, but how did you start making documentary film? Okay, so this is funny. I actually did not study journalism per se. I study, I took some journalism classes but gotcha gotcha yeah so you you know that's something that is part of it but because i can write and i know how to write and i learned the craft that's why i'm a journalist now as well it's, it's about mm. learning the craft but actually studying and getting degree in <laughs> that was uh you know communication and then film and video so i yeah. actually uh an undergrad i my major was communication but my mm. minor was independent film and video making. And, and I always say I should have switched the two and made communication my minor because I actually graduated with distinction <laughs> in, in uh, independent film and video making. And so, yeah. and I, I did good in communication too, but there was something about the film and video making, actually doing it as opposed to theorizing about it. But the two mm. balanced each other because communication, uh, my program at the college I went to was uh, very theory based. So to get yeah. that practical, that's why I took the minor of independent film and video making. So you do it, mm. but then you understand why you're doing it and why re people respond to it because you have that communication background. So they, they work together. So I started then, you know, doing like little projects projects, etc. That was always like the people knew me as the, the girl with the camera. I always had a camera with me shooting something, doing something, was always taking it out from the, the cage in the School of Fine Arts. I'm like, yeah, I need the, is this camera available? Okay, I'll bring it back tomorrow. So you had it for like 24 hours. Mm. And so I was always making projects. Then I went to grad school and you get more theoretical when you go to grad school and less practical, it, you be, it becomes all about the theory of things and the working on the papers and the writing. And I really stopped doing production at all. But then mm. it was uh, when I graduated with from the PhD program that I was like, you know what? 
I really want to get back into production, uh, but mm -hmm. some things have changed and it was only in a matter of like less than 10 years where ed editing became all uh, non-linear, meaning using computers as opposed to reels or whatever. So I said, mm -hmm. I need to go back and really learn and master it. And you know, digital was not my thing. I was always analog. I, well, yes, video, but we used tapes for video, you know, back mm -hmm. then. And even up until the 2000s, they were still really using magnetic tape. Um, and then I learned on film, you know, 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter reels. So I, nothing about me was truly digital. So I said, I need to go back and really understand and learn. And that's why I do. So this whole shooting that I do now with a digital camera, that's new because my background is not digital. It's analog. Mm. So, um, yeah, then I started to make uh, films, make, do projects, do little things. Started with, you know, started with these people would ask me to shoot little things. Okay, I'll do that. And those things are good because they help keep your your chops in terms yeah. of shooting. Yeah. And Because if you stop and don't do anything, it's not helpful. But so you know, and you understand that, but these little projects exactly. help you with your chops. So yeah. then in 2010 was when we went to New York to shoot our project. You probably asked me about that. I won't go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's talk about it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in 2010, they had the first ever Africa fashion week that happened in New York city. There was a young woman by the name of Adia Disu, and she was the founder of a fashion and PR agency called Adore. She saw that there was a lack of focus on African designers and African fashion, or well, when you saw African fashion, it was someone like Diane von Furstenberg putting some prints on her wrap dresses. So basically the African designers were not getting just due for their creations. We, mm. you know, really were at the forefront of fashion. All this color and stuff, that's African. That's what yeah. we do. That's not mm. European. They didn't have the dyes and things that we did to do. There was an indigo and such, <laughs> you know, there. So we really wore, were the, uh, the spearheaders of, of what the modern fashion industry is. Not to say nobody else had a hand in it, but Africa really did have a hand in it. And so she saw that and wanted African designers recognized for the great work they did. And she said, I'm going to do an Africa Fashion Week. And she did, the first mm -hmm. one in 2010. And it was great. It was phenomenal. And she was able to get like BMW to sponsor it her first time out. So wow. I said, I have to go up there and document this because mm -hmm. this is the thing. We were going up there to sell, you know, the t-shirt line. We also, my family also has a, a product, body products line. So mm. we went up there to sell all of that. But when I saw this was happening, I was like, well, I'm going to be up there. I might as well document this. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's how that came about. And it was called Runway Afrique. And we, a friend and I went up to shoot it. We shot it, and, and then in 2000, that was 2010, in 2012, we entered it into the Miami Fashion Film Festival, which is all like fashion films and fashion-related films, and we won mm -hmm. Best Documentary. Congrats, uh, congrats. I, I, I really you. wanted to talk about Runway Freak because it's a, it's a unique title, and now hearing the backstory, it all adds up. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a great experience. And, you know, we, we, we won Best Documentary in Miami Fashion Film Festival, but we also won the Audience Award in the Red Shorts Film Festival, which was a film festival of shorts because it is a, a documentary short. It's only about 20 minutes long. So mm. uh, we, we won that, the Audience Award. And then, so we've done screenings in, in different places. We screened for uh, the ABFF, the American Black Film Festival. They had community screenings so we um screened in the american black film festival community screenings which happened in miami also uh we did a screening up in a couple of screenings up in new york so we we did a bunch of stuff with it so it was a great ride Mm, mm. Uh, and then um you know you adapted to one thing i guess that always stands about the things you do is the passion you bring into it and your willingness to ad- adapt if things change um how do you i i guess how do you stay right in step or even one step ahead of the curve you have to read i have <laughs> i mean it's very simple read so many people don't like to do that but you need to read the reason i know as much as i do about media tech and pop culture industries or even the film industries it's because i read and i talk to people who are in these industries and i'm watching Mm -hmm. the trends and seeing what happens and when you watch trends and you're seeing what happens you soon are able to kind of postulate well, this might happen. And I am good for giving predictions as to what mm. is going to happen. In fact, I've been included in Ross Brand. I don't know if you know Ross. You probably met Ross at, at PodFest. So he does yeah. these predictions every every year. So this is the second year in the row that I've been included in the predictions edition of what he does because I'm quick to call what's going to happen in this media industry or what will happen mm-hmm. here. I'm really quick to do that. So, and that's because I watch the trends and you analyze you have to start to become an analyst. I have subscriptions to about, I probably about 75 to 100 newsletters mm. that I get daily. This is why I have so much. I have to stay on top of email or it will. <laughs> I remember when you're like, you need to make sure I get the email because it goes to the bottom. <laughs> I'm like, how many emails do you get a day, Dr. Tachi? <laughs> over a hundred so, <laughs> and that's just from all these damn newsletters but and, and you're like well do you read all of them there's nobody can read a hundred pieces of and because this is not just the emails each one of these emails has articles that are attached to it there's no way you could read over 100 articles a day but what you can do is look at the headlines and you can look at like the first paragraph to kind of get a gist of it one uh newsletter that I subscribe to is from Adweek, you know, the magazine, they do a morning media kind of roundup. And what they Mm -hmm. do is they have, they pick like six or seven stories that they summarize. And they also give the link to the longer article if you want to explore it more. But things Mm -hmm. like that are are so helpful. Uh, The big spam does the same thing with tech. So you could just look at these little blurbs of articles or these summaries, and it gives you a a gist of what is happening. That has been a Mm -hmm. lifesaver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I I, I was like, how does she do it? But then, you know, if you put in the effort, it pays out. It pays off. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's all about effort. It absolutely is. So people who don't want to put in the effort and just want by osmosis from this to fall into the sky, into the top of their heads, <laughs> you're going to be waiting a very long time, my friends. <laughs> Open the email and read, please. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I, remember, I, I always say every time we talk, like, I don't want it to end, but... uh uh you know i want i want to round off with this question like you know what are some trends you see coming out of the pandemic and things slowly opening up what are some things we should look forward to Mm, that's a really good question. So I, I have, we all know that the movie industry has been really hard hit and Hollywood has been really hard hit because of the pandemic i so if i'm to make some predictions Movie theaters want to open back up fully. That's fine. There was a a um, article that I read the other day that said that about 56% of consumers feel comfortable going back to the movie theaters. That's fine. That means another 40-something, 44% don't feel comfortable. So, you know, to me, that's still too high a number to bank your livelihood on. So I predict that we're going to start seeing uh, more home-based things that these movie theaters, these exhibition houses like AMC, Cinemark, and Regal are really going to look at how can we pivot and target that home-based market because they missed the mark because they should have been in on streaming from the beginning. They were not. Mm. So now they're going to have to look at how can we do this if we still want to survive, right? Mm. And so I predict that they're going to be more discussions, conversations, and movements toward making things home-based, as well as when the theaters open back open, but I think they've realized they can't bank on that. And if they Mm. haven't, they're not going to last very long. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you bring into consideration things like Warner Bros. releasing all their films both on HBO Max, the same time as going to the cinema, it's like, I might as well stay at my home and watch it with my family. Then I don't have to worry about anybody's COVID-y uh, <laughs> fingers touching things, these covid yeah. seats, eating yeah. uh, poppy. Yeah, and then it's already, the, the experience is already reduced because, I mean, you can't really eat. You can't do mm. things in there. You can't, it, it's already a reduced experience. So they're going to have to figure out the summer is coming. I, I probably think we're going to see more in terms of drive-ins and things happening with the drive-ins and drive-through movies. They've, there have already been tons of events that have been drive-in events. I think that these exhibition houses need to say, look, stay in your car, stay six mm. feet apart. We could bring things to you and go back to the early days of, of cinema, the drive-in cinema. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I said that was my last question, but this is the real last one. Oh. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm good. I'm enjoying this. Uh, uh, okay. So um, with all the things you do, and now finding out you have all these many emails, what are some tips you can give for people to stay, you know, on top of everything and still, you know, have as much uh to show for the time to put in as much as you do. 
So <laughs> with email, this is one thing I've learned. Go through as you're getting things and you don't have to go all the way back, but you're going to get probably if you've subscribed to some of these email newsletters, if you've have if you've done it on a daily basis, take a look. Are you really using the information in that newsletter? Is it serving you? If no, then unsubscribe. You can start mm -hmm. to do this with a lot of the different newsletters and things that you're subscribed to that you get email for because it tends to be overwhelming. Another thing you could do is folders. Oh my gosh, folders create folders for all these different things that you want. Even, you know, do the same thing with your browser and articles or websites that you want to save for later. Make sure you save them in folders and then mm. go back. You could make that a weekly thing to go through your folder and say, all right, uh, this, I need this. I don't need this. I need this. I don't need. So if you are subscribed to as many as I am, you definitely need to stay organized by keeping things in folders. If you're using, uh, something like like Google, you could put colors, assign colors to the fo folders, etc. So definitely think about organizing in that way. It will, it will help you tremendously. And then get rid of what you don't need. The, take like a, a con Marie, right? Or Marie Kondo uh, uh, approach to things. Whatever doesn't spark joy, get rid of it. If you don't need it, <laughs> buy, throw it away. That mm -hmm. will your sanity is more important than that piece of information. And then once you've used something, if you don't need it anymore, you don't anticipate needing it, get rid of it. Don't keep mm -hmm. old stuff around. That means there's no room for anything new to come in. That is so, great. That is great. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I, I have a feeling you're going to get an email saying we have to do like a part two or part three, part four, part five of this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm having such a great time. But I want to say, you know, because I know you have so many things going on. Um, the other day we were talking, like you had to keep the call waiting. So I don't want to keep you waiting. But I want to say I really appreciate the time you've given me. And I can't wait to have you back on the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Tachi. This was an amazing time. Thank you. I can't wait to come back. And I'm going to be bothering you when you're having me back. When are you having me back? When are you having me back? So I loved it. Thank you for having me. Thank you.